The first week we talked about, just on a principle level, what we call the regulative principle of worship, um, which uh, was a new concept for many, um, but is historically practiced in Reformed churches. Um, Then last week we picked up the liturgy discussion. And we talked about a theology of liturgy, um, its significance, its importance, and we, uh, and we uh, even went through our, very quickly went through our order of worship and kind of showed you the reasoning behind it. Uh, this week we're going to talk about music. Uh, now, when I, whenever you hear that we're going to do a, a series on worship, you probably immediately think music. In fact, uh, when people talk about worship these days... Uh, they wrongfully, exclusively imagine music. I hope I've showed you thus far, there's far more elements to worship than just the music. However, uh, music is a big part of it. It is um, a significant part of it, and it is without a doubt the most uh, debated, controversial, brings up, whenever, when people talk about worship wars, um, sure, there are implications about the feel, style of liturgy and things like that, but for the most part, they're talking about music. Um, music is, I would say, the biggest divide in modern Christianity, and, um, and so it's important for us to have that discussion and talk about it. Um, I never do this because uh, I just, I'm just not a fan of cheesy preacher jokes, but uh, because it is a little bit of a controversial subject, I'll, I thought I'd break the ice with a little preacher joke, okay? So here we go. I, I never do this, but here we go. This is so stupid, but all right, so... Um, <laughs> I thought it was funny. So there's a, there's a Baptist preacher, and I guess this is, this is the di- dynamic in the Baptist church, I don't know, but there's a Baptist preacher and song leader who were not getting along. Uh, this began to spill over into the worship service. Uh, one week, the preacher preached on commitment and how we should dedicate ourselves to service. Then the song leader got up and led the congregation, and we shall not be moved. <laughs> Stupid. Next Sunday, the preacher preached on Giving and how we should gladly give to the work of the Lord. Song leader gets up and leads them in, Jesus paid it all. <laughs> Y'all aren't laughing that much. It's not that funny. Um, the next Sunday, the preacher preached on gossiping and how we should watch our tongues. The song leader gets up and leads the congregation, and I love to tell the story. The next Sunday, the preacher, this is my favorite. The next Sunday, the preacher preached on a message on the evils of alcohol telling his congregation to take all of their liquor and beer and wine and go out to the river and and pour it out in the river. The song leader gets up and says, shall we gather at the river? (laughs) Finally, preacher couldn't take it anymore, decides to resign. But he takes the high road. The next week, he informs the church that um, Jesus has led him away um, from this calling, that Jesus is calling him elsewhere Song leader gets up and sings, what a friend we have in Jesus. All right. Anyway, so there, levity. Uh, Okay. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I want to ask two questions. Why is music commanded? And then why is music controversial? Those are two questions I want to answer. Because I think the controversy actually speaks to something that's beautiful about music. But first, I want to talk about just music and this theology and, and um, its uniqueness and all this stuff. Why is music commanded, specifically commanded in worship? Um, first, it needs to be said that music is uh, a uniquely human image of God endeavor 
God doesn't have to command music. Music is what image bearers do. God doesn't have to command art. Art is what image bearers do. God doesn't have to command storytelling. Storytelling is what image bearers do. We are made in the image of God. God is an artistic, beautiful uh, creator, and that's what we do. So just in a general sense, he doesn't have to command us to do it. We do it. Um, It is the image of God inside of us. Um, Not just to speak truth, but to sing it. We must make art with our truth. But... It goes further than that for Christians, and this is a unique practice to Christian worship that you may take for granted. Muslims certainly don't do this. Why does he command it in worship? And he does. I'll just root us in a few few passages. 1 Chronicles 16, 9. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Notice how he's saying, we tell of his wondrous works by singing to him. Uh, Give thanks. This is Psalm 33. Give thanks to the Lord with song. Make melody to him with heart, ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Uh, Colossians 3.16, this is the early church. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now notice he talks about teaching and admonishing each other in wisdom, and then immediately goes into singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Um, you could just talk about the whole book of Psalms, that, that, that it is, many scholars believe, that that was the hymn book of the people of God, that that is, that is poetry meant to be sung. And so we have an entire hymnal included in the Bible. So it's so clear that music is important, it's something that image bearers do, and it's important to God, and it's important to worship. But here's the question I want to answer, and it's this, Why? Why is it so important to be included in worship outside of just purely aesthetics or entertainment purposes? Why is music such an important part of worship? Um, I'm going to give you three reasons, biblically, I believe, uh, why God commands music and worship. Um, And it has to do with the truth, Um, what what music does to the truth. Um, Three three things that music does to the truth. Uh, Truth becomes memorable. Truth becomes remarkable. And truth becomes incarnational. When we sing, truth becomes memorable, remarkable, and incarnational. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Memorable. Um, In in um, we are a literary culture, and we take that for granted. In our culture, how do we record things? How do we record minutes? How do we record history? Well, we write it down, and it's in print, and or it's on a computer file, and it's recorded forever. What do you do before literacy? What do you do before printing press? What do you do before computers? Well, you had to have ways to memorize and record, and they did it through song. Um, Memorization in an auditory culture is paramount, and they did it through song because song works. Um, Raise, I'm going to give you a couple jingles. You raise your hand when you know what I'm talking about, okay? You're going to forgive me. I'm going to do a little singing today, so you just got to forgive that. All right, little jingle. You tell me what I'm talking about. I won't use the words. You just raise your hand when you know what I'm talking about. Are you kidding me? Am I that bad? You are totally ruining my illustration. You raise your hand. What was that? 
Thank you. Was it that bad? The best part of waking up. Okay, anyway. All right, let me give you another one. Let's see if I can do better here. Da, 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 da. Yeah, stay farm. Boom. Good. Uh, thank you. Thank you. See? Okay, I'm getting better. All right, so. Okay, so I just, just with jingles, just with tunes, just with, just with arranging notes in a rhythm, a product comes to mind. Words come to mind. You remember. If I were to ask you, do you have more of the Trinity hymnal memorized or the Bible memorized, what do you think would be your answer? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you would have to say the hymnal. If I were to ask you, your childhood memories, do you have more memories or can you remember more lyrics from childhood songs? There is something unique about the memorization power of music. And so God has ordained that we don't just speak the truth, we sing the truth. And in this way, the truth is implanted in our minds, and we're going to get to this in a minute, and in our hearts. And so just the memorization of truth through song is important. By the way, that's why lyrics matter. Um, The power of music is going to work whether you're singing heresy or truth. It's going to implant it in there. And that's why you need to be really careful with, um, with the music that you sing in worship. That's why we are really thoughtful with the lyrics that we do sing. Because it's going to work whether you want it or not because music is that powerful. So music is, is memorable. The second thing is that music is remarkable. What do I mean by that? Music takes truth and makes it remarkable. I love this quote from Martin Luther. Um, I give Martin Luther a hard time in my sermon. I'll give, him, I'll give him a good quote here. This is what Martin Luther says. I love this. Never trust a theologian who doesn't sing. How perfect is that? Never trust a theologian who doesn't sing. Now, what is Luther getting at there? That truth, in cognitive truth, does not change us. In fact, truth without... Orthodoxy without doxology is heresy. The, 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 the Satan has a great orthodoxy. He understands truth better than we do. What separates truth from, what separates heresy from truth is not just right thinking, it is um, appropriating that truth, worshiping that truth, and that's what music does. How, do, how does truth move from your head to your heart? There's a lot of answers to that. Prayer would be a good one. Community would be a good one. I can give you a lot of answers. But you know, one of the primary ways to do it is through song. Truth moves from head to heart through song. Not only can you remember the lyrics from those childhood memories, if I were to play that song, it's not just that you could sing along with it because you remember the lyrics. It would evoke an emotion. It would evoke an experience. It would take you back. To whatever that was. You hear, a, you hear a love song from when you were a teenager and you had your first crush. If I played that song right now, it would bring you back. Because music does something to your heart, not just your mind. I'll, 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 I'll prove that to you here. We're going to do an experiment. All right, we're going to say this. We're going to do this together. We're going to say it and then we're going to sing it, okay? And I want you to not, I want you to pay attention to feel, Okay? 
to feel your heart. I want you to pay attention to your emotions, Presbyterians, okay? Emotions. All right. Let's say the doxology together. Ready? Say it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Okay. Now, all right. Uh, who's going who's gonna to start us? Because I ain't starting us here. Uh, Ron Whitley, stand up. Elder Whitley, stand up. All right, here's what I want everybody to do. Because we're going to feel, we're going to feel. Everybody close their eyes. Ron, start us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and How awesome is that? Huh? Now we just said the exact same words. There was no difference in the truth, there was no difference in the lyrics. But and 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 if you want to really get into the theology of the body, I'll make you kneel and raise your hands and sing it. Then you'll really start feeling it. Just a little plug for the body. But the truth is is that music takes truth out of our minds and implants it deep within our hearts. What this means as well is that tune matters. In the first point, I said lyrics matter. In the second point, I'm going to say the older uh, hymns and redoing the tunes to them. And Delible Grace is doing this. Sovereign Grace is doing They're taking some of these old hymns and redoing them. And a lot of times, they really nail these hymns. And then there's a lot of times that they just brutalize these hymns. And the reason they brutalize it is because they take the lyrics... And then they give it a tune that is completely disconnected and it evokes an emotion that the lyrics were never intended to do. Now, sometimes they nail it. They really, really, really do nail it. But the one that I just was like, oh, don't do that, is William Cooper's hymn, Out of the the Depths of His Depression, Sometimes the Light Surprises the Christian. And, and it's this William Cooper, this, this depressed hymn writer, suicidal hymn writer, who writes this hymn about every once in a while God breaks through my depression. Well, Indelible Grace took that, and it's, Sometimes the light surprises the Christian while he... And I was like, stop! That's not what Cooper was saying. Tune matters. Go try to sing Joy to the World in minor key. See how that works for you. Tune matters. So, so you've got, so, so, so music matters because it implants it deep in your heart, and that's why the tune, the melody, the musical skill matters. Third thing, incarnational. It's memorable. It's whatever the word I gave for emotion was. Remarkable. How to make it work. Incarnational. Here's what I mean by that. Um, it speaks eternal truths in the vernacular of the people. Um, now, there are errors to this, over-contextualization, right? But at the end of the day, eternal truths in the vernacular of the people, one of the best ways to do that is through music. Now, this is why, um, this is why we traditionalists need to be really, really careful about 
uh, this cynical eye towards new music, new hymnody, and all this stuff, contemporary stuff. Because that's one of the beauties of, of, of music, is it's constantly taking generations that have shaped truth, that have constantly taken truth that has shaped generations, and speaking it in the language of the next generation, the vernacular of the next generation. And that's very important. Of course it can be taken to extremes. Of course that can be overemphasized. But we dare not neglect that important truth of music. When you think about love, just the concept of love, um, and then you go through what songs to your grandparents evoked love? And then what songs to you evoked love? when you were in high school dance? And what songs to your children evoke love? And what songs to your grandchildren evoke love? It's, it's the same message. It's the same love. It's the same kind of lyrics. But the vernacular of the music is changing, and it's meeting people where they are, which is very important to Jesus, very important to the incarnation, is for his truth to meet them. This is the big part of the, of the, of the Reformation, was worship was not in the vernacular of the people. Not only was it in Latin mass, where they couldn't understand what was going on, but it wasn't connected with people at all. And one of the big things of the Reformation is that, that truth has to be in the language of the people. We need to translate the Bible. We need to do songs that speak to. This is why this, the hymn we are singing, um, the hymn that we're singing this, this morning was a very, very controversial song. A mighty fortress is our God. Now you think of that song and you think, boy, you can't get more reformation and tradition and classic as a mighty fortress is our God. When a mighty fortress is our God was written by Martin Luther, it was exceedingly controversial because it was one of his attempts to take these truths and place it in the vernacular of people. Now, the, now this, this legend has grown way too much. It is not true that he went into a pub and heard them singing a song and took that song and made it into a mighty fortress is our God. It is true that he wanted a mighty fortress is our God to be sung in the uh, contemporary popular music of the day, which is what we'll sing this morning. Now, to us, it's not that. But the point is, every genre was controversial at one time, and every genre will feel out of touch at some time. And that's the way it is, and that's not something to be fearful of or resisted. It's something to navigate really, really thoughtfully. So... Uh, truth. What is why music? Well, it does something unique to truth. It makes it memorable, remarkable, and incarnational. Now, why is music so controversial? That's why it is commanded. Why is it controversial? Well, let me just say this. If it's true that it is memorable, remarkable, and incarnational, then is it any wonder that it becomes controversial? Put it this way. This is where our, this music is where our passions collide. Um, this is where our preferences come out. Because it's speaking to my emotions. So, you are not, let's say we disagree on music style. You're not contesting my beliefs, you're contesting my heart. You're contesting my emotions. You're contesting my passions and my preferences. You're contesting something far deeper inside. And so for Christians, navigating the music world of culture, it's speaking to far deeper things than just a cognitive discussion that we have together. Let's just call it what it is. Why is music so controversial? Because music speaks to our preferences. 
And that's what it is. It's preferences. And if everyone would just admit it, it would actually make this discussion a lot easier and a lot less controversial if we could all just admit that we're talking about preferences here. That's what we're talking about when we talk about music. Get out of the um, idea that my preference is orthodox. You just cannot be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and make that claim. And if you can, let me invite. If you want to make that claim, let me invite you to Third World Missions and and see the church global. And and I dare you to make that claim. In the way the worship practices are done musically over there. Um, here's here's the way to navigate. I'm gonna, I did three in the first one. I'm gonna give three three things to navigate the controversy, controversial passions of music in in worship and to think about worship. Um, let me give you three ways to do that. Um, to navigate this well. Be passionate for your preferences without canonizing your preferences. Enjoy your preferences without worshiping your preferences. Love your preferences without failing to love your neighbor because of your preferences. Okay? Let me go through those. Be passionate. So this is how we do it. Passionate for your preference without canonizing your preference. And all I'm saying here is that your, your, your preference is not biblically mandated. It is not. Listen, I, I have read the literature, I've read the books, I've read the blogs, I've read everybody's attempt to take their genre, their style, and say, this is what the Bible commands, and it is all really, 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 really bad exegesis. It's not true, okay? Do not canonize your preference. Do not take the Bible and try to make it say that your preference is the exclusive way to sing and worship. It's just not true. You're adding and twisting Scripture. It's not there. What we do have is Scripture, and this is week one, we do have Scripture forbidding. It's very right to say, biblically speaking, this practice in worship is not appropriate in the worship of God. But we do not, within the, within the genre of song, we do not have, this is the way to do music. Your preference is not biblically mandated, so just lay that down. Now, here is where people will go from that to try to canonize their preference. Okay, I won't say that it's biblically mandated. However, however, God wants our best in worship. He does. He wants us to offer up to him the best. That is, he wants excellence in worship. And when you come to the, when you come to the thing about music, there is excellence and not as excellent. And we want to offer our best to God, and so in this way I can kind of canonize this form of music that I think is excellent. You got to be really careful with that argument. And people brought that argument to me before about their styles of worship they prefer on both sides, by the way. I've heard people bring it on both sides. You got to be careful with the excellence thing. And here's why. First of all, um, don't be so arrogant to assume that your genre of music is the excellent genre of music. Um, I know... It, it, don't tell the brilliant organist that, that the brilliant jazz musician is not as excellently skilled in, in music. Don't, don't, don't start playing that game. Um, what you have is you have different genres... That, that bring different qualities, and there is excellence within the genre. So you would say, um, this person's a brilliant novelist. 
This person's a brilliant historian. This person is a brilliant comic writer. Different genres, communicating different things, evoking different things, different purposes and all that stuff. But don't say that the skill of novelists is better than the skill of the historian. Just say that there's bad historiography and there's bad novelists and there's good novelists. So, so what I'm saying here is don't do the, tr there's a genre that transcends excellence. Just say, we want to bring our best to God. And that's true. Here's the genre. We want to be excellent within that genre. Um, don't apply that to worship. The other problem with that is this. The excellence thing I get, and I'm for, I appreciate the excellence of our music program, and it is very, very, very excellent and beautiful. However, you got to be careful with the idolatry of excellence in worship, okay? If you're going to throw a concert, then you need to make it really, really excellent and charge people money to come to it. Just don't, don't apply those paradigms to worship because, yes, God, we want to bring excellence to God and what is best to God, but you need to be careful what you, what, to telling God what he thinks is excellent. Here, here's, here's the point I'm making. Um, my children's artwork is not excellent. Uh, it's, in fact, it's not good. Okay. Um, Charlie wrote a song. He's taking piano and, uh, you know, Holt's my rule follower and he just plays the notes. Dun, 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 dun. Charlie's like, get the notes. I'm writing my own music. And so Charlie's written a song for me. He wanted to write the song. It's not good. Um, they bring home art from school. It's not good. If I were to, if I were to say, I'm gonna, I, gotta, I, I want a concert and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm, Charlie's going to perform his music. Nobody's coming to that concert. If I say I'm going to do an art gallery, I'm going to display all my kids' stuff from Trinity. Nobody's come to that art gallery. But don't tell me it's not excellent. Don't tell me that when I see that, I, it brings just deep, great joy to my heart. Don't tell me that that is not absolutely the most beautiful artwork I have ever seen. Because it is. It's terrible and incredible. And, and this is worship. Worship is not a concert. It is not an art gallery. It is presenting our worship to God. And I'm telling you, do not get hung up on the excellence things and tell that to God when his children, who may not be the most gifted in this, 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 but they are bringing their heart to God, he sees that as so, so beautiful. So don't be careful with the excellence thing. So be passionate about your preference. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with your preference, and there's nothing wrong with you being passionate about your preference. Just don't canonize your preference. Second thing is this. Enjoy your preference without worshiping your preference. Here's what I mean. You can enjoy it. It's okay to enjoy the music. Here's what you can't do. You can't worship it. And what I mean by worship it is, is, is really simple. You cannot pretend that there are not deficiencies to the genre. That's what I'm trying to say. Anytime you, anytime you say... I'm off of canonizing it. Maybe you won't canonize it. Maybe you won't say, uh, maybe you wouldn't say, this is taught in scripture, this is right. Okay, maybe you won't go that far, but maybe you'll say, okay, it's not mandated in scripture, but this is the best way because I see no weaknesses in this style of music in worship. I think this is the best. If you don't see the weaknesses in your preferences, then you're blinded, Okay. There are weaknesses to every genre, and that's why the church needs every genre. So I'll take, let's just do this. Let's take the, um, let's just take the, the modern American 
the modern American worship wars. And let's talk about strengths and weaknesses, okay? And, and, and this is actually, we can do that because we have two campuses and the genres look very different at those two campuses. So, so we, can, we can actually have this discussion in an honest way and, and, and be humble about it. Okay, so if you were to say the worship discussion in American churches, let's just call it what it is, not beat around the bush. What is it, what are the two instruments that people are talking about when they're talking about the worship discussion? There are two instruments, what are they? Organ and guitar. That's it. When you think about, let's just, let's just call it what it is. When you talk about the worship wars, the worship discussions, you got the organ on one side and the guitar on another. I know that's simple. I know that's an oversimplification. I know that brilliant organists would love the guitar. I know brilliant guitarists would love the organ. I'm not saying any things. I'm just doing a broad brush to talk about it. All right. Here, we are an organ-led church. Downtown, we're a guitar-led church. Let's talk about strength and weaknesses of both so as to see that it's okay to be passionate about the preferences but also acknowledge that they're not perfect. Uh, what, would be a, what would be a strength of the organ as an instrument? You can talk. Power. Somebody said power? Yes, power. Transcendence. I mean, is there any instrument, is there any instrument where you feel like you are in the presence of a holy God then when the stops are pulled out and that thing is just, it's awesome. I mean, it's just fear and trembling. I mean, I just, I don't know what music was playing in Isaiah 6, but I think it was probably an organ. Just, woe is me. The stops are pulled out. So yeah, power, transcendence. What else? Yeah. Boom. It's a transcendent instrument, even in... Now, listen, uh, I love the way we do it here. Where are the organ pipes? Can't see them. Where's the organist? You can't see it. David, you back there? So you can't even see him, but he's, he's not back there. But even when he's there, you can't see him. You can't see the organ pipes. And in this way, it's even more of a transcendent instrument. Like, where is this coming from? Is heaven speaking? And... It's not about the organist. It's not about him or her. You're not seeing him or her just working. The, I mean, if you could see him, you'd be really impressed what they do. It's nutso what they can do on that thing. And you'd be really impressed. But it's not about them. It's a really important quality of the organ. What else? Yeah. That, that is probably... The people who are really passionate about the organ, the argument they bring the most, and, and I, I totally understand and sympathetic for it, is it is the, by far the most diverse instrument ever created. There's nothing you can't do on that instrument. There's nothing. Nothing you cannot do on the organ. You can play the horns. You can, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know what that thing is. But it, you, it, you, there, you, it's just diverse in leading the people in different ways. Yeah, good. So we go on and on. What are some weaknesses with the organ-led congregation? You're allowed to talk. Expensive. Expensive. A well, well, imp very important point that never gets talked about. If you're going to say that the best way to lead a congregation in worship is through an organ, you have effectively eliminated 98% of Christendom. This thing was really expensive. Really expensive. And, and, Pretty much, if you're going to say, where is organ-led worship done in the church? It's 
white Western culture. And, and you, just can't, you just can't start saying that the instrument that must lead God's people in worship is that expensive and most people can't even dream of having. So expensive, yeah, what else? <laughs> we love you, David. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I love that man. All right. So, so listen. Yes, it is this awesome instrument that can lead a congregation in so many diverse ways. And it puts so much pressure on that one person, that one instrument. If, if the, this thing's elect, electronic and organ, if the, if the power goes out, y'all, in mid-song, we're in trouble. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm the one up here supposed to be doing something. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. If the organist makes a mistake, which he has never made mistakes. I don't know what he's talking about. But if an organist were to make a mistake... It's noticeable. It is so dependent upon. So in one way where Kent said that the, the, the person who's playing the organ is hidden from view and it's not all about him, in another way it's completely about him. The organist is literally leading the church in worship and in music. That's good. What about the, you, you, you said the transcendence and power. What about the organ's weakness when it comes, and I know you organ lovers are going to fight me on this, but I'm just, you know, I'm just, I, I really think this is true. The weakness in eminence, the weakness in, in, its, in, its, in its communicating the nearness of God. Now, I know the people who love organ are going to say, you can do that with the organ, and, and you can, but I don't care what you do. If, if, if My personal experience, and from a lot of people I talk to, no matter what you do with the organ, it's always going to feel transcendent. There's always going to be a, a, a thing of transcendent. It's different. This morning, we're playing... Um, or the Milham is, before the throne, on the piano. And, and I'm just telling you, it feels more intimate. It feels more imminent. And that's an important quality of God. He is not just... Our corporate worship re- reflects the transcendence and imminence of God. And so a deficiency is that you cannot... Um, you cannot um, deeply personally connect with people in a near way. Um, what about this? And I'll just say this. Um, some lament this and fear this. Um, but I think it's probably something true. Um, what about, what about uh, the, uh, the incarnational nature of truth? What about the organ as the difficulty of the organ to connect to the next generation? Now, again, there's, there's, there's obviously exceptions everywhere on that one. Um, but what about, does, does it matter? Does it matter that, that a generation is coming up singing truth, and they, and they have a hard time with that truth connecting with them through the organ. You just need to know, and I defend, I defend our worship and our organ all day long, and I've done it many, many times. You just need to know that is a regular conversation I have with college students. Love the church, love this place, da-da-da-da-da-da, and then I can hear it coming. What's with the organ? Can you explain it to me? And I'll explain it. And I'll give it apologetic and I'll defend it and all this stuff. But that's a real issue. That's a real stumbling block. And those of the older generation don't want to own that or admit that because we don't like to feel our preferences becoming a dying breed. But it's something the church has to recognize. 
and, and, and own in that. And we can disciple our, we can disciple our people in appreciating the organ more and all that stuff. But you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta recognize that weakness. So, organ, strengths and weaknesses. What about the guitar? What are some strengths of the guitar? What was that? Portable. Portable, yeah. So it does not have the organ problem. <laughs> uh, expense, um, um, can't take it with you, uh, not bound to a location. Um, you, could, you, can, you can take your organ on a mission trip and walk into a church and lead people. That's it, organ. Your guitar. You cannot take your, guitar, your organ. You can't take your guitar uh, into and, and, um, and, and lead people in worship. So portability, yeah. What else? Classical and contemporary, yes. A good guitarist can, can, can really, like the diversity of the organ, a good guitarist, a, a well-trained guitarist is able to do both the classical and contemporary. Yes. I Well, there you go. Way to go, organist. <laughs> I hear you. That's the way to do it. So um, I didn't know that. We wouldn't have Silent Eye without a guitar. Love that hymn. Yeah. Um, what, about, what about, I mean, the eminence of it, the, 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 the things that you can say about the organ, it's his weaknesses. I think there's a strength of a guitar, um, the eminence of it. I, I think uh, the way it enhances, congr- if done well, it enhances congregational singing um, really well. I mean, the, the transcendent nature of the organ is beautiful. The imminent nature of a guitar, again, if it's not like, if it's not um, amplified and it's, and it's, he's up there shredding and it's guitar solo and you can't hear anything. I'm talking about a well-led guitar um, really enhances uh, congregational singing. Um, it certainly connects with the next generation, those types of things. Um, Weaknesses? What would be some weaknesses of the guitar? They're always out of tune. <laughs> always out of tune. <laughs> Only a musician would pick up on that. Yeah, so uh, once again, a uh, good guitarist is playing out of tune, and there's about three people in this room that would pick up on that. Tom's definitely one of them. What else? The sound is not right. Yes. Yes, it does not have the it doesn't have the diversity of sound that an organ would have. It's 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 it, it could easily get you into a rut of hymnody. What else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is really easy, really easy. Now I, I have to I have to commend him here. Nobody I've never seen anybody lead from a guitar and vocally um, better than Justin, our downtown guy, because the one thing that struck us with him when we were considering him is the way he can do this without it becoming him. But that's a really, really hard skill to learn. Um, It is very easy for the guitar, the person leading the guitar, for it to become their concert. Now, it's very, by the way, it's very easy for church to become an organ concert, too. It's not like the the organ is exempt from that. Uh, Many... Many uh, churches, um, and especially in mainline denominations, have become a, a weekly concert for the organ. 
but certainly it's a lot easier for guitarists to slip into that. Um, yeah, so lack of diversity, um, lack of transcendence, you need amplification, um, um, the solo, so all that stuff. So yes, all I'm getting, now, now the reason, the only reason I did that exercise, and I've only got one more point and then we're done, and it's a quick one. The reason I did that exercise is because I want us to see that we can enjoy our preferences without worshiping our preferences. We can celebrate our preferences without calling our preferences perfect. And that's just important. The third point, final point I want to make here is this. Love your preferences without failing to love your neighbor because of your preferences. Um, what would it mean, what would it do to the worship culture debate if literally you said in the area of life, in the area of concert, in the area of when I turn on the music in my car, in the area of what I download and is on my playlist, in those areas, it's everything I want. The concerts I go to, the music I buy, it's everything I want. In this weird backwards kingdom of God sanctuary, it's what do they want? Like, is it possible for you to approach worship saying, I have my preferences, but I would rather die to my preferences for neighbor, for love of neighbor. That it, it actually blesses me more to see them celebrating what they love more than me. What would that do to a church? What would that do to the culture debates? I gave you two antidotes. I don't know what sermon it was. I'll give them really quickly. I once had an older, uh, an older congregant come to me and say, hey, I want you... Um, as you're dreaming and planning for everything from worship and ministry, I want you to design a church that my grandchildren will come to. Stop, don't, don't worry about me or think about me. Far more important to me is that my grandchildren are connecting to the church. What a beautiful vision for senior citizens. I, would, I want you to build a church for my grandchildren. Don't worry about my preferences. I had a college student once come to me and say, I don't get the organ, it's confusing. But there's this old dude who sits in the pew with me, and he loves that thing. Literally what I said, he loves that thing. And, and this is how great is this line. I love watching him love it. So you don't have to, you don't have to defend the organ to me. You don't have to check. I just, I love watching him love it. Boy, what does that do to a community? When we literally say, my preferences on the altar. Neighbor, I love you. That's the way to approach the worship stuff. I'm going to close this with uh, I'm going to close this with one verse. After all this, that worship, um, memorability, remarkability that evokes emotion, all this stuff. I'm going to read a verse. We're going to pray, and then um, we got it. we're going to go in here in five minutes. I've done this to myself every week. All right, Zephaniah three seventeen. After all I've said about music, all I've said about song, how awesome is this verse? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. That our God, we sing because our God sings. And when he sings, he's singing about you. Memorable, remarkable, and planting these evocative truths into the soul of the Trinity by singing about you. It's a beautiful thing. Song is a beautiful thing. And uh, we're going to do it here in this next service in just a couple minutes. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for um, this community and the, and the humility and the love and the charity and the laughter. And uh, Lord, thank you for worship and the joy of coming together to sing um, once again this week. Bless our worship and um, our voices are for you, God. We are here for you. Be pleased with our singing every week at Tate's Creek. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.